when you write something or communicating something, you're entering into that person's room. That person isn't coming into your room. You're entering into that person's room. And what's the first thing you do when you enter a room? You have to open the door, right? You have to open the door and that person has to let you in. Um, and so think about what will make that person, allow that person to unlock that door and say, come on in, I wanna hear what you have to say. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is someone whose blogs and articles I always enjoy reading. Uh, and uh, always seek out. They they entertain, amuse, and educate me. And if you'd have turned around to my school teachers uh, but back in the long distance past when I was a student and a pupil and said to them that I would actively seek out articles on science and health, they would have laughed at you and scoffed at the mere suggestion. Um, but when someone can uh, write in such a way that it, it engages people even who aren't uh, expert in that topic or naturally drawn to that topic, I think it's a, a skill that many of us aspire to. And in terms of building strong relationships and, and bringing people on a journey with us so that they support us, is something we all need to achieve, whether in written or spoken communication, to take complicated ideas and make them simple and engaging. So that's our focus today. So my guest is Bruce Wiley. Uh, he describes himself as a writer, a journalist, a professor, systems modeler, compu computational and digital health expert, medical doctor, avocado eater and entrepreneur. Um, he's a professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York School of Public Health. And he's a regular writer for Forbes Psychology Today. And he's also contributed articles for, among others, The New York Times, Time and The Guardian. So he has got a hell of a CV and he's got it because of the way he communicates so effectively. And I'm sure he's going to do that again today on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Bruce, thank you very much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm, I'm glad that uh, uh, got you connected with science. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I must be honest. So in, in the UK, at the age of 16, uh, what were called O-levels, because I'm old, but now GCSEs, it, when I was a student, we had to do at least three sciences. Oh, sorry, we had to do one of the three core sciences at that level to do a science. Uh, I think I did physics and I got an E, which is not a good grade. Uh, that shows you the, uh, the level I was excellent. at. It, it, definitely not. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what it could stand for, but nothing that is uh, publishable on this podcast <laughs> springs to mind. Um but in more recent years, I find myself reading more and more uh, science because people have learned to present it in a more engaging way. And I think that that's the, the absolute key. Um, so, so let's start by, by looking at that. How do you, I mean, obviously, when you're in your, your professorial role, and you're, you're, you're writing for people who are students of your subject or who are academics in the same field, I'm guessing you write in a slightly different way. Or do you? How do you find that balance between maintaining gravitas and writing in an engaging way, whoever your audience is? Yeah, I actually remember um, a number of years back, uh, one of my colleagues uh, noticed an article um, that I wrote about vibrating yoga pants uh, for <laughs> Forbes. 
And this colleague wrote, uh, and this was a very senior colleague, and and wrote something uh, to me that said, uh, you know, I want to let you know that uh, I'm concerned that writing about things like vibrating yoga pants will uh, interfere with your academic reputation, that people will not take you seriously if you write about things like that. Uh, and then I recommend that when you write in, for the general media, you keep to very serious topics and keep to a very serious tone. Uh, and of course, my personality is when someone tells me not to do something, I actually do the reverse. So I decided to write about vibrators the next week. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so so I remember, especially early on, um, there were there were some academics who sort of said, "Well, you know, you have to write in the kind of this, this academic tone and be very serious, etc." Um, and you know, when I am writing uh, journal articles and scientific journal articles, I, I do take a different tone. Uh, but I've also that certainly didn't deter me from uh, taking more lighthearted tone when I'm writing for the general media. Um, it's sort of like cross training because you know you. Uh, you know, you do one type of exercise in the morning or the afternoon or what have you. I do feel like it is uh, trying to flex different parts of your brain. Um, and it's also interesting to see if you can really get messages across in different ways. Uh, so. Do, do you find that you some of the more irreverent approach to communication does seep into uh, the more academic writing that you do, or do you have to put a very strict wall around that? Well, I'll try to sneak things in here and there, um, and it, it it depends. I've I've had situations where you know an editor will say, and like an academic journal will say, okay, that, that was interesting, um, or or suggest uh, revising. I've also encountered in some cases in the general media too, because it, depending on what type of platform you're writing for there's some places where they really want to maintain a very serious tone mm. uh, which I actually uh, would prefer not to because I think that uh, trying to make things fun does not mean that you're not taking something seriously um, that there is you know certainly you can have infectious disease outbreaks and things like that where you can have very tragic outcomes and these are things that people should take seriously but I also feel that uh, you can try to have fun with something um, uh, as long as you're respectful and uh, that can make things more memorable. So one of my interests in general is to see if we can change some of the tone of science writing. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, you jump on YouTube and you see people, they'll like this deconstruct an Avengers trailer. You know, they'll sit there and there's like a three minute trailer and people will talk about it ad nauseum. They're like, you know, look what Thor did with uh, his uh, pinky finger. What does that mean? So they go through, they analyze this in great detail, uh, but they don't do that with science many times. And what's the difference? Well, an Avengers movie is entertaining people. So then they're more likely to really disconstruct everything and look at it more carefully. So why can't we do the same thing with science? Why can't we make it fun? Uh, so that people will be more likely to look at it really carefully. Your, your talk about sneaking some things in uh, sort of brings to mind uh, it, it's it's um, it's a picture that I've seen on social media many times over the years. It's cropped up again recently of a very serious book, and I can't remember if it's a science book or a history book, or if it's an academic type text 
where the first the first word of every line on a particular page spells out the lyrics to the chorus of Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, Excellent. And, and sometimes there you go. There's a challenge for one of your next uh, next pieces. But but sometimes, you know, can you sort of put things in like that that are merely to almost for yourself, but to keep you engaged in what you're doing and challenge you in a different way? Is it a different way of stopping you getting um, too complacent? I guess in, in the way that you communicate. Yeah, I, I've uh, <laughs> I've been given and I've given myself challenges to put certain things, uh, particular food items, for example, in particular articles, things like that. I remember um, uh, I and a friend used to play a game uh, for these kind of uh, global health, you know, uh, meetings that were very serious, et cetera. We would give each other challenge words where, uh, you know, I still, I still remember one time the, uh, the challenge was uh, uh, mentioned the words plunger and toilet. Uh, but it has to be completely in the conversation. Like you can't shift the conversation to plunger and toilet. And, uh, and we would up this challenge constantly. So, so yeah, so I've done that with my writing and I've done it with, uh, you know, see what we can put in there. Um, so you might want to look for some uh, uh, so-called Easter eggs in, in some <laughs> of the things that I write. So, okay. So you, you, you mentioned earlier that you had this uh, colleague who said to you, you might want to take a more serious tone uh, mm -hmm. in, in all of your writing um, because of how it's perceived. I remember the start of my career, I was dating someone who worked in the speaking industry, and she said, if you want to be successful in Asia, you might want to think about changing your first name back to Andrew mm. rather than Andy. And yeah. two, two of my books have been published in Chinese now under Andy, so I, I, I'm quite happy with sticking where I was. Uh, do you think there there have been times where being more irreverent, using more humour, has has been harmful to your reputation or to has has turned people away from you? And and, and just to um, put that in context, I ask this because a lot of people try and portray a very serious professional persona mm -hmm. on social media, LinkedIn yep. uh, particularly, and I think they do it at the cost of engaging with people. So it's important to look at the downsides of letting your personality and your humor shine through. Have you experienced any downsides? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I call you Andy instead of Andrew going forward. Please do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, you know, in the long run, no. I, I think there are many times, uh, you know, throughout my career, I've, I've often met this like, oh, you have to do such and such or you have to be such and such or this is the image that you need to portray. And I found, you know, invariably at the beginning, it can be more difficult, you know, naturally as, as, as human beings, we were like, okay, um, you know, is there a reason uh, why, and people will, will do, they'll tell you these, uh, this advice, quote unquote advice very seriously. Like they're like, uh, yeah, you need to be very careful because this could happen or that could happen. But ultimately um, there is a potential a lot of benefits of, of, of taking some chances, taking some risks. Uh, again, you have to keep in mind that, you know, you don't want to take risks where you're maybe uh, hurting someone or, or, or doing something that will, um, uh, you know, convey something that's not true or what have you. But as long as you're sticking to your values, you know, why, why not take some chances? Uh, see what happens. 
Uh, the very worst, you can just say, okay, well, that didn't quite work. Uh, yeah. You can call me Andrew instead of Andy, you know, or something of that sort. But um, but I've noticed that in the long run, no, I, I, I've been glad whenever I've, I've taken some chances and tried different things. Has there been any uh, time when it has you feel it's really rebounded the wrong way for you? I'm sorry? Has there been any time at which, when you think it has rebounded the wrong way for you? Uh, well, you know, every now and then you, I'll, I'll get people – saying, okay, uh, you know, this is a serious topic and, um, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, you mentioned some humor there and, you know, it doesn't give the topic enough seriousness. Um, but I, I have to wonder, you know, so I'll, I'll read back it out. When I hear that, I'll, I'll read what I wrote again, just to make yeah. sure I said, okay, I just want to make sure that there wasn't, it wasn't too, ir- uh, irreverent in any way. Um, and I really, didn't find it. So, so there might be individuals and, but it's, it's difficult to tell because, you know, people, when you send something out there, you're sending out to thousands, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of people and you don't know how each person is going to react. Um, so, but I do adjust along the way. So if I feel, okay, well, maybe I, 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 maybe I shouldn't mention, uh, you know, hot dog in that sentence or something of that sort, then I'll adjust it the next time. Um, but yeah, I can't say it's been, uh, anything major. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at your writing process itself. How do you select what you're going to write about? Uh, and how do you then approach that article? Do you try and work out the, the the structure of the piece and where the humor fits in and, and the theme of it? Or do you just sit down and start typing? It varies. So the things that I cover range from breaking news. So these are things which, uh, which, on everyone's mind, or it come out there. It's major news, and I cover health and healthcare, medicine, science. So anytime there's major news, I'll consider it. You know, for instance, there's something I don't know if you've heard, but there's something called the COVID nineteen pandemic that has um, occurred. Yeah, a whisper few- about it. A whisper. Yeah, it's, it hasn't it's, hasn't reached the UK yet. Okay, yeah, you know, it's tucked away usually like page 18 on, on uh, major newspapers. But uh, so that's an example of that something that, uh, you know, uh, come February and March, my editors were saying, okay, can you cover this? And, um, uh, you know, there's major news emerging every single day. And that type of breaking news, there's a time limit, right? You want to really kind of jump on it as quickly as possible, <laughs> especially if it's something that, you know, the public needs to know uh, within 24 hours. So in that case, sort of I jump on um, the story. Uh, I have an idea of what the major story is and the major components, uh, but I, but since it's breaking news, many times I'm piecing together a, a, along the way. Uh, so that's one type of article. Uh, another type is, you know, people many times will send me things. And they'll say, hey, um, sometimes there'll be questions. They'll ask me a question. And this can range from friends to colleagues to people that I don't know at all. And they'll just say, you know, I have a question about something or this this seems interesting or something of that sort. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll look at it. And, and I'll, many times I'll get like dozens or hundreds of these a day. And, um, you know, then I'll say, okay, is this interesting or is this something far-fetched? Or sometimes it's even misinformation. And it, actually, if it's misinformation, sometimes I'll write about it too. Uh, so that's an, that's another thing which which I'll do, um, and then I'll just come across interesting things uh, throughout the course of a day. Um, so that's why I think it's actually helpful, you know, when you're writing to do many other different things because 
what you encounter in life and your life experience that many times will give you an interesting sort of friction to say, oh, this is interesting, especially when something it is next to something that usually is not next to that thing. Um, so yeah, and then I'll sit there and I'll see if I have a general, like I'll see if I can visualize it. If I can visualize the article and visualize what it's, you know, in the direction that it's going to go, I think it's um, it's a candidate to be covered. Do, do you, um, I know a lot of speakers and comedians that I know keep a journal, a notebook, so mm-hmm. that if something happens in day-to-day occurrence, they'll jot it down so that when they're looking for inspiration, they've got the stories there. Do you do something along those lines? Uh, that would require organization. So. <laughs> that's that's why I say it's many of the ones I know, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I've, I've thought about it. The thought has crossed my mind because you see many interesting things throughout the day. Uh, but I'm not great at jotting down things. Um, so things will come down, uh, you know, come into my mind sort of randomly. Um, I, I, I know there's that whole story. And I can't tell this is uh, it's just sort of a, uh, a, a, a tale of it's actually true of, of Keith Richards sort of waking up in the middle of the night um, and then writing down the words to like uh, satisfaction and yeah, then going back to sleep. Okay. Yeah. So it's true. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's been times in which I've thought of things and I said, okay, I need to write that down or, or put it down. Uh, but I haven't, you know, I didn't have any paper or pen or, or something of that sort or, I thought about things while at night and then you're trying to deconstruct things in the morning. It's like, what was I thinking about? A garbage pail, a plunger. What, what was that? So, so, um, so sometimes I can remember what I think about and sometimes I can't. Um, so it's a mix of things. Yeah. I I, I'm pretty sure that I, I've read Keith Richards uh, autobiography. I'm pretty sure that story is in there. Uh, okay. And actually it has happened to me now where I've actually come up with whole passages for talks when I'm trying to sleep and I've had to get up and go into the other room and get my phone and record it quickly as a voice note. And I've delivered them almost word for word. Uh, so they have come fully formed in that subconscious. So I think creative, cre- creatively, it, it pays to have that, that outlook. Um, so so you, you've talked about vibrating yoga pants and vibrators. You've touched on or hinted at other things you've talked about, the more serious ones like coronavirus, for example. Give us some examples of some of the stories you've written that really stand out for you. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I um, it, it, It's interesting conversation starter, too. Um, uh, like uh, what, one day someone came to me and said, you know, I um, uh, – I, I, saw something about super gonorrhea and I thought about you. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, that's that's great to hear that uh, I am being combined with that word, but uh, so that's that's an example. I you know, I, I, I covered super gonorrhea, which is not a superhero. It's not like a Marvel superhero in I was gonna say the least successful Marvel film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, they, I think they would have a little trouble casting for that. You know, it's like uh, you, 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 you first you go to a listers and say, "Well, okay, I don't know if that I want that on my resume." Um, but that's that's an example of uh, you know a case of that emerged. And so, super gonorrhea is basically gonorrhea, and gonorrhea is a sexually transmitted infection that um, is very resistant to most of the known antibiotics. There's still a limited number of antibiotics that can work against it. Uh, and there was a case of um, a person who had traveled abroad 
this person, I think, I believe was married. Um, uh, it's an anonymous person, but this was detailed in a uh, uh, case report in a scientific journal. This person traveled abroad, uh, basically, I think, I believe got together with a, a, a sex worker uh, and then went back home and then realized um, that he had caught not just gonorrhea, but super gonorrhea. Um, and you can sort of can imagine the conversation with his wife, uh, sort of this onion unveiling said, oh, well, on my trip, on my business trip, I have to say I did something I probably shouldn't have done. Okay, step one. Step two, okay, well, gonorrhea is involved. Um, uh, step three, well, it's not just gonorrhea. It's actually super <laughs> gonorrhea. And uh, number four, I actually made a scientific uh, journal case report. So this is... I, I don't know what happened to the relationship afterwards, but I can tell that probably, you know, probably there were concerns after that. But I covered that and I have covered certain uh, some sig- subsequent cases of that. Um, so that got a fair amount of attention uh, because you can imagine when you put super next to any, anything that's going to get attention. Um, but it's actually a very concerning issue because as we move more and more along, um all these antibiotics that we've relied on for so many years uh, are not being effective any longer against many types of uh, emerging strains of bacteria. And we, most of us don't know what it's like not to have antibiotics. Uh, So antibiotics were a major innovation, which can completely transform people's lives and people's life expectancies were a lot shorter. You know, if you got an infection in your hand, previously, like you could be dead, uh, you know, within a week or two, because there's not, there was nothing to treat it. Uh, so once antibiotics came onto the scene, uh, it was a game changer, but it's one of these things where I think we've taken for granted. So we don't, we don't wake up every morning and said, thank goodness we have antibiotics. You don't think that, uh, but we're moving to what many scientists are worried, uh, is a post antibiotics, uh, era where you don't have antibiotics being effective any longer. And one of the problems is people aren't developing new antibiotics. You know, many, uh, many companies out there are, are more incentivized to develop things like, you know, new versions of Viagra or what have you, um, lifestyle medications, as opposed to medications that are really tackling some of the major problems. So I see this, that I saw that as an example of an opportunity uh, to have a little fun with it. Um, you know, again, the case was anonymous, so we aren't revealing any names here, uh, but also raise an important issue that we really need to incentivize the development of more antibiotics. Otherwise, we could be in trouble uh, in, in coming years. And this is one of these things where it's like the pandemic. You don't think about pandemics. I mean, how many people talked about pandemics back in 2015? And now we're talking about it. You don't want to wait until something happens and really start talking about it. So it's one of these things that I, I really would was interested in generating more discussion about, and looks like it did. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. Ironically, your your uh, example of the story of super gonorrhea has made me think about how we make stories go more viral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, when we talk about making 
complicated ideas simple and engaging you know part of that engagement is not just that people want to read it and understand it but they talk about it and share it because that's really what what helps get a, a message out there mm -hmm. uh, what what i'm taking from what you've shared and it, and it fits with everything that i know about speaking as well is that you can't just talk about the theory you have to hook that theory behind a story uh, that yeah. captures people atten people's attention is is that one of the key techniques that you'll use are you looking for the story to lead um the outcome in, in most cases yeah, so we, you know, we talk about a peg, right? A news peg, yeah. something that you can actually hang an actual story, uh, many times preferably a breaking story uh, that hasn't gotten out there yet, that you can hang a news item or a broader message on. Um, and it's absolutely true. There's many times, there's many very interesting things that are very theoretical, uh, but theoretical doesn't work quite well in dinner parties or... Uh, or happy hours or what have you, and also doesn't work well in sort of the broader public, social media, general media, uh, et cetera. Sometimes it does, so you shouldn't rule it out. Like if you wanna talk about something theoretical, great, but it is helpful to actually bring it closer to home to people to tell them, look, it actually happened to someone. Uh, so for instance, if you were to talk about uh, super gonorrhea or something like that, or just like antibiotics. So antibi uh, not, I'm just, not antibiotics, but bacteria that is resistant to all kinds of antibiotics. You would have to say, okay, well, there's this bacteria and there's these things called antibiotics. And this one, like imagine the bacteria is resistant to these uh, antibiotics. Imagine what could happen. That's a little more complicated. But if you could say, hey, there's this guy who took a trip and got super gonorrhea. And that's not good. And he had to tell his wife, et cetera. That story kind of rings a lot more effectively. We, we've, uh, we ran a mini series of podcasts earlier last year on the use of humor in building relationships. How important is humor to you? Because I, knew, I know you use a lot in your writing, um, but how much of a contributing factor is it to making a story uh, engaging? Is it essential? Uh, or is it just one of the tools that you'll use? Well, when you have a name, Bruce Lee, uh, you kind of have to uh, uh, have things roll off you and, 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 and inject a little humor. So uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I learned at an early age, first of all, um, it's amazing the number of people who will make comments about your name. Uh, or make comments about my name when I was growing up. So then I actually, one time I actually wrote an article about the five uh, most common things I get. Um, uh, one of which is, uh, has anyone ever told you that you have the same name? And my response <laughs> is no, you are the first person through all my years now. So I found it actually, it's interesting. At the beginning, I, I thought that that was, uh, uh, you know, a bit irritating that people would always, but then I realized it was, it was a conversation starter, right? So when you do that and then you come back with something, then you've actually already started a conversation with someone. And I found that when you can open with something that maybe knocks people a little off their feet or sort of disengaged, or they're like, Oh, what? I didn't expect that. <laughs> That's a little different. Uh, it can leave people more open to hearing other things. Um, you know, if you were to come after people like very seriously and say, you know, just imagine like if you were at a party and someone came up to you or, or even, you know, at a workplace and look at you very seriously and said, 
Andy, this is really serious. Like, what would be your response? You'd be almost like, okay, let's put on the armor. What do you have to tell me? Whereas if things are a little more disengaging, you can still tell very serious stories and you can still have very important messages, but it's received differently. Um, So I think that's uh, a technique that we often use unconsciously. Right. So, you know, you when you when you when you're standing in the train with someone, you don't turn to that stranger and say, let's talk about something really serious. You know, that's when you see the other person start backing up and saying, OK, but you open it with something like the weather or you joke about something. You see something funny and you joke about it. And that's how you open. So why not use that in writing and why not use that in media in general when you're talking about uh, serious stuff? So, you know, not not everyone and probably not many of the people listening to this are going to be writers mm-hmm. uh, or see themselves as writers, but they will have to write, whether mm-hmm. it's internal or external, even as simple as emails. We have to communicate with people and, and, and that impacts on how our message is received. So what are the simple approaches that people can take, wrapping everything that we've talked about and anything we've missed nicely into just some simple tips for people to to engage with people when it's a serious topic, when it's a complicated topic, when it's more important to the writer than the reader? Uh, simple ways of just engaging with people so that they come along on a journey with us in written communication. Yeah, we we many times underestimate the number of times we actually have to write to someone or communicate to someone. We do it every single day through, like as you mentioned, emails. We do it in social media. Uh, we do it through simple notes uh, and what have you. So, yeah, you can certainly use the same principles. Uh, so one is you always want to think about the other person. Many times when we write, we're thinking too much about ourselves, right? We're st- thinking like, okay, I've got to get these words out there. What do I have to write about? But we don't really think about who's actually receiving this and how they might receive something. So one of the things that you know I try to do when I'm writing is I try to picture someone reading it. You know, I'm picturing that I'm trying to communicate something to someone else. So you think about what would this person want to hear, especially if the person has had a busy day and or they've had a hard day or they've like been on social media and they've read like the 50th post about how, you know, things stink and how so and so so awful. Or, by the way, you know, look at this video and someone's smashing into the wall. Ha ha. You know, things like that. You, 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 they, they, they've been inundated with sort of bad news. Um, what do you want to tell them? So you think about, well, maybe maybe they'd like to hear something a little more lighthearted or something which is a little more engaging. So think about the receiver of the information and think about what might get them to open up. Because again, th- you're when you write something or communicating something, you're entering into that person's room. That person isn't coming into your room. You're entering into that person's room. And what's the first thing you do when you enter a room? You have to open the door, right? You have to open the door and that person has to let you in. Um, and so think about what will make that person, allow that person to unlock that door and say, come on in. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, and, you know, so it can be a simple line just to do that. But f- think of some way to connect with that person. And many times humor can be a way of doing that uh, because, you know, most people will feel more at ease when they're smiling or laughing or what have you. 
Yeah, I think it, 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 uh, even in a work environment, we can bring humour into it time and again. And it goes back yeah. to that question from earlier is, you know, take that risk yeah. uh, and don't worry too much about it. Being, you know, you need to be appropriate, but you take, you know, stretch it a little bit further. So we've, we've focused on, on uh, written communication, but, but how much of the approaches that we've discussed uh, transfer to the way you speak, uh, whether it's delivering a talk or a lecture, which I'm sure in your role that you do a lot of, um, or just have a conversation. Are you just as conscious of how you construct your message and how it lands with the other person? Yeah, I, for example, I, I was giving an international talk. Um, uh, this was in, in Prague, where uh, I was giving a keynote for for um, for a, a meeting, and I decided to start off the meeting talking about my name. Uh, the talk was about something completely different. It was a scientific topic. Uh, it was talking about uh, you know the, the the problem of the obesity epidemic uh, throughout the world, et cetera. You know, serious consequences. Uh, has nothing to do with my name, but I decided to start off with that. Um, and I did list the five most common um, responses I get when people hear my name. Um, and, you know, in addition to like, oh, did anyone ever tell you? People ask, uh, you know, uh, did your uh, parents purposely name you? Do you know martial arts? Uh, you know, these different types of things. So I decided to open with that. And you might say that has absolutely nothing to do with topic. Why are you talking about that? Um, but I figured, you know, why not take a couple minutes at the beginning? You know, the, the, the talk, I believe, was for about an hour if you throw in the Q&A. Um, so it's not really overwhelming to talk. It's not like seeing they say, okay, instead of the topic that I said I'll talk about, I'm going to talk about me and my name. Now, it's only taking two minutes. Um, and then so I did that. And then at least the feedback that I got from people was that they really liked that because they felt that it, uh, what, you know, someone once said, you gave, I was expecting with any talk, a typical scientific talk, but you gave a talk that I found more memorable. They said that. So, um, so you know, I, 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 I got feedback like that. And I think you can use that in, speak, in, in speaking engagements as well. As long as you don't go overboard, as long as you aren't, you know, start off by saying, hey, you know, uh, uh, knock, knock and, you know, tell a knock, knock joke or what have you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's different ways you can work it into, um, verbal communication or, um, or other, other means as well. And, and ha can you point, I mean, we've talked a lot about how you write articles and you use humor to engage people there. We, we've touched on, um, how appropriate that is in different environments, but are there particular projects that you've been working on ideas you've wanted to get support for? where you can turn around and say, actually, because I approached that in a less than traditional academic way, I got, I got more support than I might have done otherwise. Yeah, that, that, can, that can sort of describe like half the things in my life. Uh, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of my career, I mean, I, I gave a talk uh, to uh, a bunch of uh, alumni folks. Um, they asked me to talk about... Uh, the um my my career journey or what i've done since college uh because some folks had read uh some of my articles and you know seen some of the things i did so i decided and, and i'm paraphrasing this like i can't remember exact wording but i decided to title it i started off with a slide that said the uh the random the meandering random walk uh 
of my career, uh, otherwise known as my weird, 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 weird life. I think there were four weirds, maybe five weirds uh, in that subtitle. Um, and that was really sort of to capture the f- fact that, you know, I've, I, my career has taken all these kind of twists and turns. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I went to medical school. I worked in the business world. I worked um, for investment bank. Uh, doing equity research. I worked in the consulting world, startup world, uh, did, have done tech stuff, uh, have been academic, academics, um, uh, writing, journalism, all these different things that to some people, they look like it's just kind of a spaghetti of all kinds of stuff. Um, so many times along the way, I was taking turns. I was, what, what, what's, what's the phrase? You know, zig when people are zag. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of zigging while other people were zagging, a lot of zagging while other people were zigging. This wasn't deliberate. Like I didn't sit there and say, I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm going to do exactly opposite what people do. It was because, uh, I would, you know, I would try things and either I was like, Oh, that's not what I thought it would be. Or I would like run like right into like a brick wall or like fall flat on my face. Like I, um, I went through a, uh, periods in my life where I was sort of like the, um, you know, those, uh, GPS systems when you kind of shift off course and it says recalculating that was my career many times, you know, I would, I would, I would say, okay, here's the plan. I would come up with five-year plans. I said, I'll do this, then this and this and this and this. And there's like, it, it would look beautiful. There's this whole plan, career plan. I'd get out first few weeks, fall flat on my face. Like it, like the first step wouldn't work. And then I'd be like recalculating, recalculating. So I would have to try different things. Now, at the beginning, that was distressing because I'd look at a lot of my friends and people around me and they were on these very clear paths, you know, path to become a law- partner on a law firm, path to become a surgeon, path to become, you know, the CEO of this company or what have you. And I, meanwhile, I was like, this is this. But it actually taught me uh, along the way that uh, when I started embracing that and say, OK, I'm going to take whatever the universe brings to me, I started encountering things or opportunities that I didn't even know existed, like unusual things. So I started realizing the benefit of serendipity and also just trying new things and seeing what might happen. So uh, I realized that it's actually good to take these, you know, people talk about calculated risks, but, you know, they're almost like risks within with borders. In other words, um, you try something and see what might happen. And uh, it's like a scientific experiment. You try it and see if it works and you try to immediately get, immediately get feedback. And sometimes you say, okay, uh, that, that didn't work. I, I shouldn't try that again. Um, so I've actually taken that more to heart and, and yeah, and I'll, I'll try something and see, will it work? Throw it out there. And then if it doesn't work, okay, pull it back. Let's try something different. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's been my approach to life in my career ever since I went through that kind of spaghetti direction you you mentioned about not being deliberately contrarian mm-hmm. but do you think that pushing against the accepted wisdom is something that you are almost keen to do or looking to do at times in order to make an impact or find a different route yeah there there are many situations where um and you know and and we've seen this in in health and healthcare where there are sort of established mantras or established ways of doing things. And if you don't question them, 
then uh, they will just continue. But sometimes you, when you dig deeper and you say, well, why? I, I call this the five-year-old approach where, you know, five-year-olds, they'll say, why? And you say, well, because, it's, you know, this is the way it is. They'll say, why? And you say, well, because, and they'll keep saying why, right? So it's, it is helpful to do that. Um, and I found that there are many situations where, yeah, you question conventional wisdom and you realize, well, hey, no one really actually figured this out. Or this actually occurred because a bunch of people got together in a room and just decided that this is the way it's going to be. Um, you know, there, there's been exper- social experiments where people throw out something out there that's false and then they'll see just because it's labeled in a certain way, it will just continue to perpetuate. Um, so I do like to question. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, there's there's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where people are saying, you know, something has a ton of evidence and they'll still question it. Say, I don't believe it. And then, you know, there's a conspiracy theory and say, well, this was actually, you know, produced by people from Neptune. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, then, you know, then the microchips came and then suddenly, you know, giraffes were involved and, oh my goodness, you know, I, that's, that's a different story. You know, when there's evidence behind something uh, and there's support, then, yeah, there's reasons to do that. But I do believe in questioning things when there isn't any clear evidence. Uh, it, I feel like if we, if we weren't towards the end of the podcast, we could open up a whole new area, um, particularly with sort of conversations around Twitter at the moment and what should be allowed and what shouldn't. But maybe that's another conversation. Let, let's finish off with, um, uh, I guess, as it's, a, as it's a conversation about good writing and, and writing in a way that makes complicated ideas accessible and engaging, uh, which writers do you turn to? Who are your preferred writers, whether they're columnists or authors? Yeah, I've been asked that question often, and it's difficult to to say because I've always been uh, someone who's read something not because of the writer or because of the author, but I've picked it up because of what it said. So I can't say that there are particular writers that I uh, religiously follow and or read everything that they write. Um, but it's been a mishmash. So, you know, when I was growing up, I read a lot of science fiction. I went through these periods, um, uh, and I guess this is sort of reflective of my life, where I, I would, like, delve deep into something and do that heavily for a little while and then shift over. Like, there was this period of time earlier in my life where I read Shakespeare a lot for, like, a couple years. I just basically read everything that Shakespeare wrote, like all the plays and all, all those things like that. Then I shifted over to science fiction because, of course, naturally, what do you think of when you think of Macbeth? You think of iRobot and, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, which, by the way, when we got to 2001, that stuff didn't actually happen. But that's another No, story. really? <laughs> but, yeah. but, yeah, so then I, I shifted over to reading a lot of um, uh, 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 science fiction. Then I shifted over to, you know, to yet another thing. So I've, I've gone through all these different periods of my life where I've collected this very odd, eclectic collection of different types of uh, reading that I've done. I also, um, you know, watch a lot of um, commentaries. Of like, you know, I, I, I particularly like things like uh, I, I watch what John Oliver uh, talks about on, um, yeah. on HBO. Um, I really like his approach because he, he has real facts and a real story and real message, but he brings in a lot of humor. 
so that's that's one example that I can think of. Um, but you know, and then there's there there are other writers and other people. Uh, but yeah, I don't stick to just one writer. I, I'm a big fan of John Oliver as well, and I, I think he's a great example of what we're talking about. He takes some very heavy topics. John Stewart's doing it in his Apple TV series mm-hmm. as well now. Um, they take very heavy topics that a lot of people wouldn't normally watch a documentary on, yeah. um, but their injection of humour into it makes it much more accessible. So I think they're, they're great examples of that. And, and, and I must say, just on your 2001 Space Odyssey observation, you know you're getting old when all of the science fiction uh, based in the future from your childhood, you've gone past those years that they were <laughs> set in and you're still waiting for the hoverboards to come into fashion. Uh, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, many people were, were thinking that when Back to the Future, well, it was Back to the yeah, Future 2, two I believe. Two, 2015, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the Cubs did win the World Series, so that did come <laughs> true. Uh, but I'm still waiting for the hoverboard and what that yeah. uh, uh, kind of inflatable uh, vest or whatever the thing that he wore. So Exactly. So on that, um, that somewhat depressing note, uh, <laughs> Bruce, thanks for the humor and, and thanks for joining me. I think it's... It, it, it is an important topic. We need to look at how we communicate. We need to, picking up what you said about, think about your reader. We need to think about how our message lands, not just say what we want to say, uh, but what people will want to hear in order to get our message clear. And I think you've helped us explain that really well today. So thank you for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Eddie. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, and so I'm, I'm very honored to join um this episode so uh looking forward to uh to hearing your future episodes excellent thanks bruce thank you so much to bruce for joining me and uh yeah just to reiterate those points i I think that if there's one key point to take out of this well let's take two one is take some risks i i i really asked that um that question about reputation because i know how many people are worried about how expressing a little bit more personality in their communication will land, particularly if you're in a compliance-heavy industry like financial services, professional services generally, or or medical uh, space. But actually, you know, if you can express some personality in a way that isn't uh, too irreverent, isn't offensive, uh, then people want to pay more attention i love that that example of john oliver at the end if you haven't seen john oliver's show uh, as i said he takes heavy topics and he lightens them and it's that's what we're looking to do and then that other point that i mentioned the end about thinking about your reader thinking about your listener thinking about who you're communicating to and making sure you create a message that lands and that they want to share one of the uh one of the best quotes i heard on this i think was in um an American speakers podcast, the NSA speakers podcast. Uh, and someone said, your message needs to be two things. It needs to be sticky and transferable. And I always use a post-it note as the illustration of that. People need to remember it accurately and pass it on accurately. And if it's too technical and too dull, neither of those things are going to happen. I hope the Connected Leadership Podcast is sticky and transferable, that you remember what we talk about and you tell lots of other people about it. So please do that and stick around. Make sure you join us again soon for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. 
And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.